This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Shohei swings and sends a high drive out to center field. Mullins on the run. Get out of here! It's gone! No tricked up outfield dimensions going to keep that one in the ballpark. Shohei Segoy, center field. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, happy Thanksgiving week. I know we were talking about this and thinking, maybe we can like make a Thanksgiving type of theme podcast. And of course, as soon as we come up with any idea, we have to stick to it. And so welcome to Thanksgiving week and welcome to the Thanksgiving version of the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Yes, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to this idea that we kind of cooked up over the last few hours, last day or two. I thought it could be really fun if we did a draft of all of the things in baseball that we are thankful for. So we're going to go through, we're going to make 30 total picks, so 15 each. And the only rule is I want us to cover every team. So once one of us takes something, someone from one team, that team is now out of the running. And I'll keep track for you and I so we don't have any repeats. Now, who gets the first pick? We didn't discuss this. Uh, I think because this was your idea, you have to take the first pick. Who is your selection? I absolutely have to take... It's what I texted you as the example. The Los Angeles Angels, Shohei Otani, and Mike Trout, their existence. The fact that we had a player for the first time in baseball history qualify as both a pitcher and a hitter in the same season, Shohei Otani. The fact that Mike Trout still finished top 10 in MVP, despite playing 119 games, he is one of four guys to hit at least 40 home runs playing 119 games or fewer. I think they have to be the first pick. And again, this isn't just about stats. This is about what they bring to the game. So I, I mean, A1, all number one. I know he wasn't the MVP, but Shohei Otani is the most fascinating player in baseball. What do you have at number two? I mean, I think yours was a slam dunk for sure. I, I You can't say enough about Otani, and for it, what seems like decades now, you can't say enough about Mike Trout. So um, solid choice, a very Sarah choice. So I'm excited to get into this because then you might have to make some harder decisions. But I'm going to just stick with the obvious. I think the obvious has to come out first, and um, I think we can – go with New York Yankees for number two and go with Aaron Judge because let me just say I mean 62 home runs in a season is stupid and I've said it was stupid for so long It's just, it doesn't seem like it should be human. It doesn't seem like something in today's game, which is why it's been so long since we've seen it. The way that pitchers can pitch today 
is it's just mind blowing to think of me stepping in a batter's box and figuring out how to make contact one. So to see someone come up with not just 40 home runs, not just 45 home runs, like 62 home runs in a single season is a, just a feat that should be remembered for such a long time. And I mean, I know I told the story, I think it was like August or something when I went back to uh, my husband in my hometown and we were sitting with his godfather at his restaurant and it was Monday night and it was just when football started and he came out, his godfather came out to see us and he's like, oh my gosh, why do we have the TVs on baseball, not football? And he went back to go change the channels and the people in the bar complained saying, can we leave baseball on? Aaron Judge might hit a home run. And I'm like, oh my God, have we made it? Have we made it to the point where baseball is finally besting football on a Monday night in the middle of football season? So um, I think that was great for the game. I think it was fun to watch. And it's something that I don't think any baseball fans really going to forget anytime soon. I love it. I 100% agree. Maybe when we look back on this, it will end up that we drafted sort of the top storylines. But regardless, I love where we're going so far. The next thing, number three, that I'm most thankful for from baseball in 2022 has to be Julio. Has to be Julio Rodriguez. We have talked about him so many times on this podcast going back to when he tripped and kind of swam to third base early in the season. And then they did the, um, the chalk outline, and then he came out with the water wings. I know, it's amazing. And then he's an all-star. And then he's in the home run derby, finishing second to his countryman, Juan Soto. And then he became the first player ever to have 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases in his first ever season in the big leagues. He was such a joy to watch all year, and he brought so much to that Mariners team, which finally got rid of the drought. We don't have to talk about that anymore, and he was just an absolute joy to watch. He was also in the home run derby. He had what seemed like from afar the best time he could have had. Um, And like you said, to go against Juan Soto in the finals, that had to be so fun. So I hope that set the stage for an exciting year this upcoming year because that could be really great for him to be the face of the All-Star game in in his home ballpark. So that was great. Loved Obviously watching him and uh, being able to see that derby in person, which was a lot of fun. I think for me, the next obvious one to go with is it's got to be St. Louis. And I think I have to take pool holes because I, I've, I've talked about it before about how difficult it can be when you are on a beat for a specific team. And you're watching one team day in, day out. And by the time you get home, most of the games are already done and over with for the day. And so you can't watch a lot of baseball outside of the one team that you're covering unless you're off for a day. And Pujols was the one thing that made me continue to, like, pull up a game feed on my laptop while I'm at the the Guardians games. And trying to make sure that I was paying attention to Twitter as much as I could to see if he was going to hit it, if he was hitting it yet. Um, chasing down 700 home runs at his age to be able to be effective at 42 years old is, it's unbelievable. It's, there's no words to really describe it. Um, for him, it was just such a fun time to be able to root for someone from our childhood to be able to see him continue, uh, to this point in 2022 and still be such a key contributor to a team this the Cardinals really figured out how to best utilize him and to see him chase down 700 homers and eclipse that was really really impressive I still can't believe that that happened and he even set a record he had 16 home runs in his final 45 games the most home runs in a player's final 45 games of a career. I mean, that is what was so much fun to watch. 
Speaking of fun to watch, for number five we're up to, um, and I'm glad you took the Cardinals and Bulls because we hadn't taken the National League team yet or anything National League. So I'm going to go with the Phillies now. Everything that they did, dancing on my own, everything, I'm staring at the Phillies rally towel that I got being at the World Series a couple of weeks ago, which feels like forever ago, <laughs> by the way. And everything that Rob Thompson was able to do with that team, taking over at the beginning of June, there was just a story on The Athletic earlier this week about how when the 2021 season ended, Thompson told the team he was going to retire after one more year as bench coach. He started collecting mementos at spring training. He was getting ready to retire. And then instead, he ends up taking over as manager, taking the team to the World Series, and I don't see that he's going to stop doing this anytime soon. But I just thought that's an another amazing, you know, amazing turn for this team that had so many obstacles along the way and had so much fun in spite of those leaning into them, bright tree, everything that went wrong. And there they were into game six against the Astros. I mean, I still cannot believe that happened. So Kyle Schwarber bringing over Dancing on My Own from former Met and Guardian great Kevin Ploiecki. I am taking the Phillies at number five. And I mean, let me just say that I'm thankful for the Phillies just because we got to have that moment of you watching me on FaceTime. Was it Schwarber's home run that you, you said, have you seen Schwarber's homer yet? And I was like, no, I'm finishing up writing. And you said, um, can you look it up? And when you do, can you FaceTime me so that I can watch your reaction in real time? Swung on his hit. Wow. Deep to right field. Titanic shot into the second deck. Wow. The Phillies take a 2-0 lead. Kyle That Schwarber home run was so insanely killed. It was base. thankful for that moment. But, yeah, such a fun team. And so maybe I just continue with, like, the fun team feeling and just go with Baltimore for right now just because – one, I think I think the whole baseball world can be thankful for what they brought to the table in a way of just being so unpredictable. Like nobody would have thought that they would have had the year that they had this year. Nobody would have thought that this was the season that they were going to start to catch fire um, the way that they did to the level that they did. Uh, and I, I really was not expecting to be looking at the wild card standings at the beginning of September and start to think like, oh my goodness, so the Guardians now have to fight off the Orioles and they have to be looking at all these other teams. So um, it was it was really impressive to see the team that they put together. But I think specifically what was even the biggest moment for me that at least I was thankful to happen was, yes, it was tough when Mancini was traded um, because you just picture him as the face of the Orioles like for the last however many years it's been now. And after everything he's been through in his personal life, you know how much he means to this team. You know how much this team means to him in this city. And once he did get traded to Houston and they came back to to Baltimore, I think that was the moment for me that I look back on and I was like, that was really, really special. The ovation the crowd gave him fans overlooked I know it's not like it was Trey's decision of where he was going but overlooked that he was uh, wearing another uniform and just gave him the warmest welcome that he absolutely deserved and then he won a world series by the way I mean I have a friend who I mentioned a couple of times uh, my friend JT from college and he is a huge Orioles fan and he texted me entering the world series and he said he was rooting for Trey Mancini to get a ring. All right, and number seven, I'm going to get some more National League in here. And I'm going to take the trumpet that is now in the Baseball Hall of Fame.
they posted a TikTok of the trumpet that Mr. Met used this season arriving to Cooperstown. It was an unboxing. If you've ever watched an influencer do anything on Instagram, they did that with this trumpet. It was amazing. And it encapsulates so much of what was so fun about baseball in Queens this year. We have discussed, obviously, I don't root anymore, but I did grow up a Mets fan. And I do have a lot of people in my life who are Mets fans, including our wonderful producer, Olana, who is nodding along as I am saying this right now. And I know how much fun Mets fans had watching Diaz, not just the walk up, the song, Timmy Trumpet, but also the reliability. The Mets bullpen had not had a pitcher be as dominant and good in the ninth inning as he was this year. But I also think that no matter what kind of fan you were, you came to know that song. And I know that William Contreras walked up to it as well. And I love that. It's such a fun song. But it's really funny. I was at a college football game this weekend. And when the home team won, they started playing it. And I don't believe that is the only college football game where that's happened. I have to say that a quick runner out for that would be uh, Francisco Lindor's daughter's love for Buck Showalter. Celebrate tonight, turn the page, and uh, focus on, on tomorrow. Buck? Buck. Yeah, Buck left. <laughs> she loves Buck. Hearing that little voice just say Buck over and over again just destroys me. Um, so what, not only was it funny in the press conference in person, but it was even better whenever Buck ended up winning the manager of the year and Lindor put out the, the video of her seeing it and she just kept saying Buck and it's just, uh, I, I love that. So yeah. Okay. The trumpets 100% is the only thing that you can think of though for that. Um, I guess we're on to number eight and I can't believe we've gotten this far. I feel like it's almost an obligation now to at least bring up the World Series champions at this point. So um, I'll take the Astros now. And I think it's mostly just your guy, Dusty Baker. I think it's just it's hard. It's hard not to sit here and just think of everything that everything that everyone had said during this run of how much it was important to them for Dusty to have this moment. And it's been a long, long time uh, since he's been able to experience this as a player. Um, And so for him to be able to get to the point now where he's experiencing this as a manager, um, the sheer excitement on his face, we talked about it in our episode right after the World Series ended. Uh, he seemed like a little kid in the candy store, and it was just so fun to watch him get so giddy and so excited. Um, this older guy who it just seemed like so young at heart in that moment, and uh, it was it was really cool to be able to see that. And I think if you're if we're thinking of a specific player, I know Jeremy Pena had a had a great postseason, but I think the moment that sticks out most for me, aside from just Dusty and winning the World Series, is Pena's first career home run when his parents were being interviewed and the home run interrupted the interview. I thought that was such a cool moment that I'm like, all right, this is this is fun. This is cool to watch. And, and that's something that, you know, his family will never forget. I'm going to keep these sort of uh, managerial theme going and take the Cleveland Guardians, who, of course, you cover every day and you know very well. I was so excited for Terry Francona to win manager of the year. And we talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast. The idea that this team was the youngest team in baseball, the first time that the youngest team in baseball made it to the playoffs since the 1986 New York Mets. To me, that's why Tito won manager of the year because he was able to teach these young kids keep them in line, keep them ready, somehow keep himself from a head injury with Josh Naylor, do everything that he needed to do. And 
Terry Francona, like Buck Showalter, who you mentioned before, and like Dusty Baker, who we just mentioned, is so important to this game. I mean, there are some really key managerial figures in this game right now. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no top in that. Like, I'm starting off with the, the best possible manager, and it seems like it's only... It's only going downhill after he eventually retires, which we now know is not going to be coming up this year. But milestone, older player, more of that that type of realm of sticking with like managers and cool things like that. I think I'm going to go with the Tigers and go with someone maybe not expected to be taken as high as this. But um, I think Miggy deserves the shout out the same way that Pujols does. Um, Miguel Cabrera getting his 3,000th hit this year and right side there it is his 3,000th the third Tiger to ever do it the career that Miggy has had and I know that Pujols got all of the spotlight because he should have I mean you saw what he did but Miguel Cabrera's in that same boat, and I don't think it was lost on people, especially whenever he was chasing down um, 3,000 hits this season. And it was just, it was really enjoyable to see not just one, but two players who we would have grown up with, who we watched as kids, have monumental moments like they did this past year. And I know he was part of that All-Star game with Albert Pujols, um, being more of like those legend players coming in. And, and it was just, it was a cool year for that. It was, it was neat that they did that for the All-Star game, having both of them there. And so uh, for him to still be able to have that moment, I thought that was really special. So it just felt like it was just one of those extra things this year that was really cool and make sure we didn't forget that that also happened. It's amazing to me because my enduring memory of Mangy in 2022 is him smiling which is so important. I mean, I think that if you're a baseball fan, you've been around, you've been watching him throughout his career. That's what you think of with him. And I will say, I'm about to pick a team that if we were going by wins, they would have, of course, been first, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And if you're a Dodgers fan, you're listening, we are not disrespecting you. Take you at number 11, if anything, this should just show how much we've come to expect from the Dodgers. They didn't surprise us this year because we knew they'd be really, really good. But even still, they won 111 games without Walker Bueller for most of the year. Without Cody Bellinger being the player he had been in, in 2019 when he won the MVP. But this team had the strength of Mookie Betts, of Freddie Freeman, of Trey Turner, and of course, Hilaire Reyes, and Tony Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson. They were really fun to watch. I mean, as we've discussed on here, I watch every game, and very frequently, my late shift game is the Dodgers just to listen to Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser. Really fun broadcast to listen to. I know my Giants fan mother is listening right now and cringing. I love you, Mommy, but I love this team. They're really fun to watch. I know the postseason did not go the way they expected, but we need to remember how dominant they were during the regular season. To the point that I remember us talking down through the stretch of the season and we were sitting here saying like, well, let's talk about all these other teams because we know what we're expecting of the Dodgers. And it's almost to the point where I don't want to say it was like it was boring to talk about because we were like, well, yeah, they're, yeah, another day, another win. They're just really good. This is what they're going to be. And, and this is what we sort of expect from them. And rather than looking at it in like, a, okay, well, same thing, different day type of thing, it, it was really impressive that they've reached that status. Um, what are we at now? 12? Goodness gracious. Okay. I think I'm going to go with the White Sox. 
at this point. And I know that they had a disappointing year. And I know that fans were frustrated this season. I know there was a lot of drama when it came to the managerial hires and like everything that came with the White Sox was not what anyone was expecting. But I think that the big takeaway was Dylan Cease. And I think the way that he was able to have the season he had was, I mean, one, fun to watch for all of us. I think, um, I know I see him frequently because Guardians play him, uh, play them, I should say, not just him. I think that the season that he had was really, really impressive and um, sort of a, a consistent highlight for a team that had so many expectations and was falling short of those and there was frustration and um he was really just a constant for them i love it and i'm going to stick with the mustaches and take a team that i can't believe made it this long again nobody get mad at us we're just having fun talking about teams and storylines i'm taking the atlanta braves Spencer Strider being the mustache twin for Dylan Cease and the fact that Michael Harris II and Spencer Strider as rookies propelled this team to a second straight National League East title. I'm sorry, not second straight. They won more than that. But for them to get there as reigning champs, after it looked like they were not going to be nearly as good in April, they have won five straight division titles. There we go. But a second straight within the last two years. And the fact that this team had no let up as the reigning champs. I know they didn't repeat, but they had the eighth pair of rookies as teammates to finish 1-2 in the voting. The last time the Rookie of the Year teammates were 1-2 was in 2011, and it was the Braves with Kimbrell and Freddie Freeman. I mean, this team had so much energy. Yeah, and I completely even forgot that they were still out there to be chosen. So yes, it is not something that we were deliberately doing to push them down the list. Um, but I think I have one more pick here before we'll throw it to a quick break when we hit our halfway point. I think you'll hit our magic number 15. So let's go to 14. And I think it's getting challenging, man. I think I'm going to go with the Padres and, um, the Padres mostly because the thing that I'm going to think back to uh, when I think every year when you get to the trade deadline, you try to remember what happened every single year before that because you're trying to relate things and um, write stories about it. I think the biggest story of this season was when Juan Soto found his new home. Now, I know it wasn't the Juan Soto that everyone was hoping, especially Sarah Langs. Um, I, I, but I re- all I think back to was one – that all-star break was a little bit later until July this year. And everyone knew at that point what was going to happen. And they knew that the Nationals were shopping Juan Soto. Didn't know where he was going to end up. And the way that, one, he handled that at the all-star game, because all of that being announced like right before the all-star game was a tough position for him. Because he's on the national stage, every national outlet is there, and all they want to find out is what he's thinking about it, where he thinks he'll go, all these things. And... Um, for him to handle that so well was great one and then obviously did what he did in the home run derby so um, didn't let that bother him but um, didn't really help our argument that we were trying to make uh, when we were talking after the uh, all-star break that the home run derby uh, can help you um, after that and uh, didn't really quite do that for us but that's okay Um, I know it wasn't the year that the Padres were hoping that he would have with them in the second half. I know it wasn't what he was hoping for in the second half, but it was still just like this monumental moment of the blockbuster trade. And I think back to, I'm going to think that back to that trade deadline every single year from moving now on of what was the big move. And it just seemed like it was the Juan Soto trade deadline and it was the Juan Soto storyline. And 
even though it wasn't the season he would have wanted, I do think that he is going to be just such a fun piece for this team. Um, it's been a fun team going into this, and we already knew that. And uh, especially with all the news that happened with Tatis and all these different things, it's just like uh, it it's still something to me that I think is going to be a huge move, one that's beneficial for an organization. Um, and I think it's just another fun piece to add into a team that's started to gain more and more attention nationally. And because I'm always here to defend Juan Soto, I will say he had some key hits for them in the postseason. I know they didn't end up making it to the World Series, lost in the NLCS, but they did upset the Mets. They did upset the Dodgers, at least by seeding, and he was a big part of that, hitting the ball hard. He ranked fourth in the majors in hard hit rate per swing. 21% of his swings result in hard contact. Only three guys were ahead of him on that list. Jordan Alvarez, Yandy Diaz and Alejandro Kirk, which is fun in and of itself, and I'm going to tweet that out when we're done recording here. But hey, that's pointing. okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was about to say, are you just whipping out all these numbers off the top of your head? Because this is really scary. <laughs> I promise, not off the top of my head. As you were talking about, okay, him, good. I knew that he was toward the top of this leaderboard. So I pulled it up so I would have the number. Then I realized how great the list was. And then soon people will see it on the Twitter sphere. I just wanted to make sure I didn't need to organize an intervention. We're good. We're I good. Mean, fine. We're fine. Continue. For other baseball <laughs> things like the uh, Lee Dome game. I am watching while we are talking. I am watching Gigantes versus Lee Say's game one of a doubleheader. It's 5-1. But they're in a rain delay right now, although they're taking the tarp off the field. So, speaking of somewhere where they do not have any rain delays, at number 15, I'm going to take the Diamondbacks. We talked about them a bit toward the end of the season. I thought this team was so much fun in 2022, especially toward the end of the year. Leo Corbin Carroll up for them. And of course, Christian Walker is always there crushing the ball. Alec Thomas, Nalton Varsho is now this great outfielder who is tied for the most outs above average. Among outfielders this year, he used to be a catcher. There are a lot of really fun players on this team. Again, Carroll is really fun because he has all of that speed. They're certainly on the up and up. I don't think they will be significantly better in 2023. They still need some guys to get a bit older and more mature. And then you bring back in some veterans. But Zach Allen had the seventh longest scoreless streak we've seen in the live ball era this year. And he was really, really good for them missed the rotation that had some other issues. I just thought the Diamondbacks really screamed fun this year in a way that they hadn't for the last few years. Well, I think that does it for the first half of our draft. Let's take a quick break. We regroup. We can get an idea of where we want to go for the second half. So stay with us. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Thanksgiving edition of the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com. 
and Sarah Langs, MLB.com reporter and researcher. And Sarah, we are going through everything that we have been thankful for this year, things that fans can be thankful for this year. And we're trying to do one from each team in a draft type of fashion. We've gone through 15 rounds so far. And now let's get into the second half. And as we keep prefacing or trying to say before we get to these teams, we're not really have any rhyme or reason to these. It's more of just the first big moments that pop in our heads. So just because a team falls this far down does not mean we are not remembering some of the great moments. So um, I think I, I, I think I'm going to take Sarah's mom's favorite, favorite team here. I think I need to go to, I think I need to go to the Giants. Um, I think I go back to uh, Mike Yastrzemski's walk-off Grand Slam. Uh, what was it? In July, I think, against the Brewers. Um, I remember that being one of the things where I was just sitting there on Twitter and it, like Twitter starts blowing up and I'm trying to figure out exactly what what's going on and I go track it down. Um, I don't know if there's a better feeling than going into the bottom of the ninth um, and you're down, what, three runs and you, the only way to fix that in one swing of the bat is a grand slam. Um, and you step up to the plate and you deliver. And, um, I, I just can't even imagine that. I think that's every kid's dream of what they say, whether, no matter what time of year. I mean, I think the only other thing that kids would say is it's game seven of the world series, but that's as cool as it gets. Can I recap that ninth inning? So this was July 15th in San Francisco. It was the Giants hosting the Brewers. 5-2, entering the bottom of the ninth. The Giants are facing Josh Hader, who of course would be traded about two weeks later. Joey Bart leads off the bottom of the ninth with a solo home run. On the second pitch he sees, Wilmer Flores pinch hits, he hits a fly ball. Then Darren Ruff hits another home run. So it is now 5-4 on two solo home runs. There's one out. Austin Slater comes up. He hits a single. Then Jermaine Mercedes, remember him? Pinch hits for Brandon Belt. Uh, Austin Slater seals second. Jermaine Mercedes hit by the pitch. Tyro Estrada hits a single. So we have bases loaded, Slater on third, Yermin on second, and Tyro Estrada on first. And then on the first pitch he sees, Mike Yastrzemski hits that grand slam that you mentioned to win the game. Delivers. Swing it. There's a shot. Deep center field. Way back there. Still going. It's a grand slam. Can you believe it? The ball game ends on a grand slam by Yastrzemski, the third home run of the inning. I mean, what a crazy series of events. I am going to go with, we have a couple playoff teams left. I believe we have two. I'm going to take one of them, and that's the Blue Jays. So I think people had very lofty expectations for Vlad Guerrero Jr. in 2022. He had an MVP caliber season in 21. Of course, Shohei Otani is undeniable and was especially last year. Vlad did not have the same season, but I want to give a lot of credit for the fact that he improved defensively. He won a gold glove this year at first base. He was the first Blue Jays player to win a gold glove at first base. This is the guy who came up as a third baseman. There were questions about him staying at the position, and I'm not sure. I don't think any player likes to be in a position where people talk about, oh, he's not going to stay there long term. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for taking that energy and channeling it into being a very good defensive first baseman, as opposed to being down on himself, merging into a DH, or being one of those first basemen who is basically a DH. So I 
want to give him a lot of credit. And again, I know this team lost in the wildcard round. Of course, they had the big blown lead against the Mariners, but they were really fun this year. Alec Manoa is a star. We learned that at the All-Star game, if we didn't know it already. Vlad Jr. is so much fun. Matt Chapman playing his defense at third base. Bo Bichette, of course, Teoscar Hernandez now traded over to the Mariners, but he was a really important part of the Blue Jays in 2022 as well. So I'm taking all the energy, Dan Schulman, Buck Martinez, everything about the Blue Jays. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think it it's easy to to overlook teams that had struggles this year. But yeah, Vlad is Vlad is great, and the way that he was able to get a Gold Glove after everything really impressive turnaround. So yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a good choice. And I think for me next is going to be going with Kansas City. Um, I'm going to go with the fact that Bobby Witt Jr. is finally here. Um, I know that he was just outside of being a finalist for the AL Rookie of the Year, but um, just a really type of uh, exciting player. And of course, the big focus was his bat whenever he came up. And I know it took a while for him to get that first home run. I remember talking to our Royals writer, Annie Rogers, and she was just saying like, I basically just have this thing written and I'm waiting for it to happen because I need to be ready. And I know that's anything that anyone cares about right now. Um, The Royals, again, not having like it was the biggest year that they've had, but um, or the most successful year that they've had. But this this type of stuff, you have Bobby Witt Jr. who's there. You have Vinny who's there. You have all these types of players who are making fans excited, giving fans reasons to be excited. And fans were just hanging uh, basically sitting on the edge of their seat, just waiting for Bobby Witt Jr. to have his first homer. And I thought that was, um, I thought that was fun. But the biggest thing for me was watching him defensively. I, I mean, I, I knew the bat was something to be excited about, but it was fun to watch him at third base at times because, I mean, obviously I see him pretty frequently with the Guardians in the same division. And I remember, I remembered this one play, I think it was... Uh, beginning of September, they played them so much in the last two months of the season. So now that's all blurring together. But I think it was the beginning of September. It was like a tie game in the ninth inning. And um, I think Tyler Freeman with Cleveland had like this, I don't know, not like it was like a slow chopper, but it, was de- it wasn't like it was the hardest hit thing, um, ground ball down the line. And Bobby Witt was able to make this diving play gets up to his feet and like whips it across the diamond to get the out and saying it, it just seems like, okay, yeah, routine, but watching it, it was really what a ridiculously impressive play. And I remember sitting there like, huh? Yeah, I get it. I get the hype. This guy's pretty good. Um, and I know that he made a handful of different plays this year and offensively he was fun to watch. So I think he's just somebody that is laying the foundation of, okay, here could be another up-and-coming star that's fun to watch for years to come. So much fun to watch, absolutely. I mean, the power-speed combos with the guys who are called up this year. Think of Julio, you think of Bobby Witt Jr., and you think of Michael Harris II. I mean, there was a list I was tracking. I don't think Michael Harris got there. But we almost had three guys with 2020 in their debut this year. Three. I mean, just amazing. So speaking of amazing, at number 19, I'm going to take the Marlins for Sandy. Sandy's Beach. We have to talk about this. Sandy Alcantara is so good. He stays in the game. He does everything that people want to see with innings and all of that. And he is so dominant. And what I love about him is that he has a lot of personality. You can really tell. And sometimes for a guy who is not necessarily, um, you know, playing in the biggest market, we don't always know everything about their personality. But I feel like just by following in the Marlins, 
watching him pitch and keeping track of what he is up to, you get a sense of who he is. His Instagram handles like Sandy Alcantara, MPH, miles per hour. And I feel like that alone gives you a sense of kind of his sense of humor. And I really loved during the Cy Young announcement, it was him with his mother and father on the couch and then one of his brothers. By the way, I believe he said he's one of 10. Was that right? Certainly one of a handful. But he was next to his father, who did not speak English, and Greg Amsinger had him translate a couple of questions. And you got the sense that all of Sandy's humor came from his father. And I looked up this really fun stat the night that it was announced that he did win the Cy Young unanimously. So he had six complete games, which led all of Major League Baseball. He had all of the complete games for the Marlins, and no other team had six or more. It was the first time in MLB history that an individual led all players and teams in complete games. So there was an honorable mention, and I did want to mention that as well. So in 1877, the second year of Major League Baseball history, the second year of the National League, Jim Devlin had 61 (laughs) complete games for Louisville. He was their only pitcher. But his slash Louisville 61 complete games were tied with the Boston Red Stockings for the most. So that was an instance of an individual tying another team. But Sandy led everybody. I know the Marlins are still working toward being better again with sort of a young crew, but he is there and he is so good. Yeah, uh, I think that's an understatement. Gosh, I love hearing all that. Goodness gracious. Okay, Um, hard to now top that with my stupid reasoning for my next one but we'll go with it anyway so uh i guess we're on to 20 we're uh two-thirds of the way there so for the 20th round here i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with the cubs and uh, not a season that cubs fans would really want to remember in in a lot of different ways i know it was a frustrating year but i think the biggest thing that i remember one specifically being Fran Mel Reyes, but I remember is the Field of Dreams game. And the Cubs obviously win that game. Drew Smiley was great and pitched really well in that game. And I have this image of seeing Jordan Bastion, who covers the Cubs for us, um, tweeting out a video of Fran Mel coming out of the corn just like five days after he was... DFA'd with Cleveland and it just seemed like such a weird turnaround and seeing him in this old style uniform um, coming out of the cornfield but I thought it was just that game one is just so neat it's such a, a different unique concept that no other sport has and there's no way to really explain and compare it to any other sport because it's it's doing something that it's hard to replicate in another sport. You don't have these types of things where you can get creative with your venues like this. And so um, I think that game is fun. It gives so many different reasons for uh, fans to be excited about the game and tune into it. It's the minimalism of it all, of just seeing corn out in the outfield. You don't see stands. You don't see three tiers of deck. You don't see any of that. You just see endless corn it seems like in the field behind it and as Iowa as it gets. It's so much fun. I love the Field of Dreams game and I'm going to pick a team but before I do I just want to say I fact check myself. He is indeed Sandy Alcantara is indeed one of 11. He has seven sisters and three brothers so I didn't make that up. I didn't think I could have, but I just wanted to point that out. 
Okay, let's take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we can get into the final third of our rankings. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based channel championship team. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, let's just keep rolling right into the final third of our Thanksgiving draft. So, you know what, I'll stick with the Fields of Dreams game and I will take the team they played in that game, which is the Cincinnati Reds. And there were some really fun pitchers specifically for me to watch on the Reds this year. I'll start with Alexis Diaz because, of course, brother of Edwin Diaz, who we already discussed. I remember when he was in spring training with the Reds, we got a question in our research channel at MLB Honor Slack asking about the last time that there were two active brothers who were relief pitchers in baseball, like both on the major league roster. And I remember it very distinctly because my answer was, who is this in reference to? I had no idea about Alexis Diaz. This was early March, maybe mid-March of last year. And I didn't know that he was going to make the team. So uh, it was very exciting when he did end up on the squad. And the fact that even though they didn't end up pitching in the same game, when the Reds faced the Mets in both series, we saw the family there in their split jerseys. I love that. And then, of course, we have to talk about Hunter Green, who was out there throwing 100-mile-an-hour pitches, setting record after record. I know he missed time with injuries, but while he was pitching, he was just electric and otherworldly. And again, the Reds are another team that didn't have too much to write home about. So yes, any type of small thing to hang on to. And it's not even a small thing. Those became bigger things. And so, yeah, I think those were two of the, uh, a few of the biggest bright spots of this team. And so I think uh, I'm going to try to stick with my last theme of focusing on these big, cool moments that you can have throughout a season. Um, So for what, 22 that we're up to now, I'm going to go from the Field of Dreams game to the Little League Classic, which I have not properly, and I know I've beaten, you know, a dead horse on this one, but I absolutely love the Little League Classic game, and I'm going to say it until my face turns blue because I absolutely love this game. It is just the best event that you could possibly have. It's a mixture of Little Kids, Little League, and having these uh larger than life stars come into uh the little league world series and give kids hope and uh make it seem more realistic that the dreams that they have can come true it's just such a brilliant idea i love this game so much so i'm gonna go with the boston red Sox because they were part of this game um and i think that one of the the my favorite things from this is how much one it meant to uh the team in general i think alex cora was very very 
transparent and how much Little League meant to his family when he was there. Um, he talked about how he and his, uh, his father was part of like the Puerto Rico Little League team. Um, I think his dad actually like founded their league in their, in their area. So I know that that was something that ran deep. I know there was um, a very slang stat that came out of that game because J.D. Martinez um, at least collect, got a hit on his birthday. Um, and I know that I think, what, is that eight straight years that he has at least a one hit on his birthday? Um, and um, so I think that there was just a lot that went into it. it what, the 27th man who was called up for that game Cordero came up and hit a pinch hit home run. Um, you, Xander Bogarts hit a, hit a home run. Um, and I know that this wasn't a team that hit a lot of home runs, especially at that point in the year. So there was just all these different things. I still picture the videos that I saw the Red Sox account tweeting out of um, Alex Verdugo taking the cardboard boxes down the hills. And he could not have been having more fun if he, he tried. Oh my God. I'm you're gonna beat me? Yeah, I got that mega race. And I almost lost my shoe. Let's go. Right the All right, we'll get it. Uh, okay. Oh. I went sideways. I lost control. I'm gonna slide one more time, guys. Oh. And that's obviously, if you don't know, it's a Little League staple of going out to the hill at Lombardy Stadium and you ride down on a cardboard box as if you're sledding down a snow hill, except you just end up with a bunch of dirt all over your clothes whenever you eventually fall off the cardboard at the end. But it is it is a blast and it's fun to see big kids turn into little kids again. And all these guys are kids at heart and playing a kid's game. And it's that week that that weekend that you really, truly see it. I love that. I'm going to stay in the AL East and finish up the AL East for us. I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Rays. Shane McClanahan was so good this year. He would have been in that top three for Cy Young, I think, had he not missed some time toward the middle to end of the year. But he was so dominant. And another player whom I'm watching play right now in my Dominican League game, Jose Siri, who they acquired partway into the year. He wears an 100 necklace, like the 100 emoji. He is really fun. He was dominant in Lidome last year, and he brought some of that speed. And, of course, he hit that big home run off Shane Bieber in that game of yours in I say yours because you were there in the postseason in the wildcard round Then ended up going all of those innings. Was it that game or was the game before? It was the game before, the game before. But he hit a big home run off-shame paper that no one saw coming. The Rays are always fun. They always find a way to get it done, even this year with some injuries. So I'm taking them at number 23. And I'll move on to 24 then. I think um, Colorado is one that I want to go back to. Um, I remember back at the beginning of the season, it was um, probably in the first game or first few games, Jose Iglesias had just, um, found, uh, his father had just passed away. Um, and I remember um, him getting a hit, an RBI single in his first um, at bat. And I know his dad was someone who was obviously very close to. Um, his dad was at all of his games leading up to that. And then he passed away and he had this, his first his first hit being this RBI single. Over, he became over whelmed with emotion he started tearing up at first base um you can see some of the coaches coming over to him and he's pushing everyone away of course just not wanting to really allow himself to get too overwhelmed in that moment but he couldn't help himself and I just remember that hug that Freddie Freeman gave him they were playing the Dodgers um and uh the hug that he gave him at first base I thought that that was just summed up a baseball is the best moment and so it was hard to ignore that one that's a great one I'm going to take the Nationals at number 25, uh, even though Juan Soto did not finish the year there. They had a really, really fun 
rookie in Joey Manassas, who I believe was a 30-year-old rookie who they called up to play after they traded Soto away. He ended up having, he is 30 years old, he ended up hitting 324, slugging 563. In 56 games this year, he had 13 homers. He was really, really fun to watch, and I know I was probably the only one still watching every Nationals game after they traded away Soto and Josh Bell. He was a guy who had been playing in the minors and in winter leagues forever. And to finally make it at age 30 and then be really good, I mean, that is the dream. It's the delayed dream, but it is the dream. Yeah, and I think going on to 26, as we're getting closer to 30 here, I'm going to take the Twins, uh, the last AL Central team remaining here. I think that the, what I think back to and why I'm thankful for it was it provided such a funny moment for me early in the year before the season even started. It was spring training. Uh, I'm out in Arizona. Um, the Twins are obviously in Florida, so our our writer for the Twins, Do Hyung Park, is is in Florida, and the time difference. Carlos Correa signing breaks, and uh, Doe's not awake. He's in bed. He's asleep. And um, a couple of us, Juan Toribio, Annie Rogers, we were all together, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, Doe! Like, you're what are are, are you freaking out right now?" And we're texting him, and there's just radio silence, and it's just like this unpredictable. We're like, "What the heck happened? How did Correa get to the Twins? Like, of all teams, why the Twins?" It was just this storyline of what in the world? It was not what we were expecting. It's not what anyone was expecting. And I just remember waking up the next day to text from Doe after we had texted him. And he was like, oh, crap, what happened? And I'm like, uh, you missed a little bit. You might want to wake up and get on that. And it was just so funny because the shock that he had covering this team, he wasn't expecting anything like that breaking at the time that it did. It was obviously a little bit different because it, it trickled into spring training more this year because of the weird offseason that we had. But um, I just thought that the storyline of Correa going to a team like the Twins was really fun to watch. Just the whole Correa story in, in Minnesota this year was one of my favorite things to follow. At number 27, I am going to take the Pittsburgh Pirates. O'Neill Cruz is a StatCast star. He throws the ball really hard. He is impossibly tall for shortstop, and yet it still manages to work. He crushed the ball this year. We saw him have have the fastest track to infield assist by anyone under Sackhouse. Rolled, Cruz scoops, guns. Oh, jeez! <laughs> he can fire that baseball across the diamond. That I know is he continues to play for the Pirates. He will continue to break those kinds of records. And another Pirates player I do want to mention is K. Brian Hayes. I've always been a fan of his game, and his defense was really, really good this year. Nolan Arenado, always reliable at their base, but I do fully believe that whenever Arenado doesn't win the gold glove at third, it will be Key Bryan's. I mean, he was outstanding at their base this year. And I can't wait to see what he does in the future. Uh, I'm going to move on here to, what, 28? And I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. Uh, I'm going to pick them one because thank you for allowing the judge moment to happen. Um, probably not the best way for Texas fans to want to remember that, but uh, they were on the receiving end of the historic uh, moment of Judge getting his 62nd home run. So uh, that's a big thankful moment there in general. But more on the specific to the Rangers side, um, was it Josh Smith, I think it was, earlier this year that had an inside-the-park home run? This ball hits sharply out to center field again, and this time, Gloriano uh -oh. missed it. Uh -oh. That's going all the way back to the warning track, and Smith has some wheels. They'll wave him around third. Here he comes. He'll score all the way around the bases. 
Um, to me, I know everyone says that the triple is the most exciting play in baseball. And yes, sure, I get it. But it doesn't beat an inside the park homer. Uh, to me, it just doesn't. And I, I, I love witnessing them. Um, it's close for me to a no hitter. We all know how much I love no hitters. Um, but I think anytime you have that inside the park home run, uh, it needs to be remembered. It's, uh, it's always so funny to me when some guys, um, the, even uncharacteristic guys end up getting that where you weren't expecting them just because of the way the ball bounced. But that one for me is always going to be one that sticks out. And at number 29, I will take the Milwaukee Brewers. I know they were close to a playoff spot. Again, nothing wrong with being 29. We're just going through all of the different storylines. But Corbin Burns was yet again really, really good. I know he didn't repeat as Cy Young because Sandy does exist. But he was really, really good and has established himself as this reliable pitcher in the National League for the Brewers. And I really enjoy watching a handful of players on that team. I know he is not the forever Brewer, but Andrew McCutcheon was so much fun to watch. He had that game where he had to walk off, and I believe he then lay down of like, thank goodness. I believe he had to walk off to break an 0 for 15 or something along those lines. And I remember having a sad about it being, you know, the first time anyone did that since, I don't know, the 40s, something along those lines. So he is really fun to watch, and the Brewers were very exciting because of him that leaves the a's to round us out at number 30 and uh it's difficult for a team to be successful with a young roster i mean the way that tito did it with cleveland was uh the reason why he won the manager of the year because it's really really challenging there were three teams this year that had at least 17 guys make their debuts that was the guardians the cubs and the a's and you saw the cubs and the a's not be able to figure it out the way that tito did so that i think that speaks more about tito than it does about the other teams because it is really really challenging Um, but I still think that some of the highlights for the A's are Seth Brown I I know he had 25 home runs this year Um, coming from watching a Cleveland team every day that's a lot of home runs so uh, I know it's not when you're starting to look at the Aaron Judges and the Mike Trouts of the world but um, to have the 25 home run season I think that that's an exciting type of player and I think Sean Murphy is also going to be one that is going to cause a lot of havoc this off season that the trade rumors are going to be swirling and there's a reason for it I think um, he had 18 home runs I know defensively his metrics weren't the same this year as they were last year because last year he blew everyone out of the water and was the slam dunk gold glove winner but I think that he's a type of player who's really exciting to watch because he's defensively sound he brings a a, a power threat to the plate um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a, a handful of guys for this team that you can look at, but um, those two at least were exciting. And um, I know that Oakland fans are, are hoping for something more exciting moving forward. I think we'll close it out. We'll allow everyone to get back to all of their turkey and stuffing and rolls and whatever other sides that you have with your Thanksgiving meals. Um Thank you all again for listening. Uh, We wish you guys all a great holiday week, but that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.